Speaking of beautiful, how do you like that tie? <laughs> Reby gave me that. How many of you know about veggie tails? Yeah. Well, I've got my button on here and veggie tails. Let me tell you, this is a TV uh, video series, Veggie Tales. It's about Bible stories. And we have, uh, there are nine in each one of these, and we have three sets of those down in our library, and they stay checked out most of the time. Let me recommend it. I've not seen one, and I looked at one, and I want to tell you, they are terrific. They are terrific. And uh, children love them and learn from them, and I, I learn from them. If I'd had these, I wouldn't have had to spend four years in the seminary. I just would look. <laughs> maybe look, gone up there and learned a little Greek so you could impress people. But <clears throat> I'm, uh, now let me tell you, parents ought to watch that and with, with your children and then talk about it. Be it one of the best ways in the world to do some Christian education at home and a very wonderful, they're happy and fun things. But Bible stories, parents and Husbands and wives, with your children, look at it and then talk about it. It's a great way to talk about the Lord without feeling like, well, let's sit down now and talk about the Lord. Do it through some means like that, and it'll be a wonderful, wonderful experience for you. So this is, how many of you know who that is? That is Bob the Tomato. Bob the Tomato. And when I eat lunch today, I'll probably get a little tomato on Bob uh, the tomato. I already have the best fed ties in town. So I, well, this has been a, this has been a serious week, hasn't it? It has been a week of, uh, a lot of sadness. Our son, Stephen was going through surgery uh, Friday morning and we were at the hospital about six o'clock and he was in there for six and a half hours and doing fine. His surgery was successful. He's in a lot of pain now. He's home and, uh, He's recuperating, but doing so very slowly because of the extensiveness of the surgery. He can, he can stand up and walk very slowly, and he can lay down, but he cannot sit very long, 10 minutes or so, and he just hurts him a lot. So I told him when he feels like it, just to come on to church and lay down on the first two rows here with the deacons and just sleep, sleep with them, you know, and he'd be, he would be... He'd be able to come to church. But uh, while we were there at the hospital waiting, our daughter Lisa and her husband, George Pilgrim, came in and they were just devastated. George's lifelong friend and a friend of George and his brothers, all of them like family, Roy Williams. Roy had been going north with three other guys in a car, going north on 281. A drunk driver came up the ramp, went the wrong way on 281, hit them, killed Roy. Killed him almost instantly. The other three were taken to the hospital. One is hanging by a thread now in intensive care. The two others terribly hurt. I conducted the funeral on Monday at uh, the funeral home, Universal City. And the director said it's the largest funeral they've ever had there. This was a good guy. 28 years old. Drunk driver that had been kicked out of a bar restaurant there because he was causing so much trouble and he got in his car and went the wrong way and killed somebody. Sad deal. And then Tuesday, all the world came to a stop when we heard about Denver. 
And weeks ago, the world began to just hang by a thread of anxiety on what's going on in the Balkans and the terrible things that are happening to innocent people. And when things like that happen, we start looking we start looking for some sort of logical reason. And sometimes you cannot find any logical reason for illogical behavior. Uh, thinking about, and we've just been swamped with the tragedy in, in Denver. And I've listened to a lot of the interviews. And I, I try to listen not only for the news, but I listen for some spiritual element to come through it. And you know what I've noticed? I've noticed that the most spiritual statements being made and the best spiritual insights that are coming are coming from the kids. Coming from the kids. And we start talking about, well, family. And that is an element involved in this, family. Extremely important. Family life. Talk about school. The rules, regulations, discipline, or lack of it in school. Guns, the easy accessibility to guns, face it friends, the easy accessibility to guns, it contributes to a lot of murder, violence. When I was in high school, a couple of guys get into trouble and you'd have a fist fight. I've been in two or three myself, lost all of them. But But, uh, nowadays, uh, you don't hear people having fist fights anymore, not that that's good, I tell you, it's better than pulling out a pistol and shooting somebody. So something needs to be done about that. Uh, I doubt if anything will. We'll talk about it a lot, but very little will happen. There's too much money involved to make a change. Um, TV, movies, music, there are a lot of factors involved. But listen, the more I've thought about it, and this is not the message I had planned to bring this day, but Tuesday changed it. The Lord has changed it, and I've thought about it, and I've thought a lot about it. We need to get back to the source of the problem. Family's important. School's important. Laws are important. TV's with us, like it or not. Movies are with us, like it or not. Music is with us, enjoy it or not. The basic problem is a problem that nobody wants to talk about. You listen to the news accounts. You listen to the social scientists talking. You listen to the individuals. You listen to TV commentators. And you keep talking about what we need is conflict resolution. We need to help people who have low self-esteem. We need to have people who have a social conscience. We need to have people who recognize and accept different people. We need to help people understand the difference between that we're all under the skin, under the skin, we're all the same. We need to have all these, yeah, all that stuff is true. But let me tell you something. You're never going to have conflict resolution until a person has gotten a right resolution of his problem with God. The basic issue is sin in the human heart. And I noticed on television, anytime that's brought up, some person, supposedly an authority on human behavior, well, they'll get away from that word as fast as they can. Evil. I don't want to hear that word, evil. I said, well, I heard one say, well, we're all born innately good. 
Hello? When did you land here on planet Earth? Evil is in the human bloodstream. Listen, we're all sons and daughters of old man Adam and we've got his blood in our veins and we're sinners by nature and sinners by choice. All of us. We don't like to hear that. We don't like to admit that. We don't like to hear somebody preach about it. Somebody say, oh, Bugner's going to preach a hellfire and brimstone sermon this morning. Let me tell you where the hellfire and brimstone is. It's in Denver, Colorado. That's where all the hell broke loose in people's lives. Evil, you've noticed it. Evil is just the word live spelled backwards. A guy gets drunk and he drives down 281 in the wrong direction, living backwards and he kills somebody. That's evil. It's sin. That is our basic problem. Face it. We don't like to, don't want to. It's there. We gloss it over with all sorts of perfumed euphemisms. There are all kinds of sins. I know that. Heavyweight sins, middleweight sins, welterweight sins, lightweight sins, featherweight sins. They come in all shapes and sizes, all kinds. But all sin is a rebellion against the will of God in our lives. And the rejection, basically, of Jesus Christ is our personal Savior. Face it. All of us are sinners. We look good. We've gone to school. We got educated. We're cleaned up. Look pretty good here on Sunday morning. Down deep inside the human heart, there is that residue of sin. That tendency is still there. That propensity is still present. That inclination is still there lurking under the surface waiting for a propitious moment at which time it can rise to the surface and take charge of your life and bring it down like a sandcastle at the beach. Now I want you to see the stress that sin creates. I want you to turn to your Bible, the eight, uh, seventh chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, take the Bible in the book rack in front of you and turn to page 1118. 1118. 1118. And you'll find Romans the 8th chapter. We're going to begin with the 18th verse. Now I want you to listen to Paul here. It took a lot of courage for this man to do what he wrote here. He was divinely inspired. I know that. But it took a lot of courage because he bears his soul to us. He stands up there and verbally just strips himself naked before us to show what he's really like. And he is a prototype of every one of us. And I want you to listen to the civil war that's going on inside this man. He tells us about it. For I know that nothing good has its home in me that is in my lower self. I'm reading William's translation this morning. You have NIV. It says sinful nature. That's probably better than this, but I like William's Translation for some other reasons. For I know that nothing good has its home in me that is in my sinful nature or my lower self. I have the will but not the power to do what is right. Indeed, I do not do the good things that I want to do, but I do practice the evil things that I do not want to do. 
Jump to verse 22. But in accordance with my better inner nature, I approve God's law. But I see another power operating in my sinful nature, my lower nature, in conflict with the power operated by my reason, which makes me a prisoner to the power of sin, which is operating in my lower nature, my sinful nature. Wretched man that I am. Now, someone could say, well, Bugner, that's just a Christian. Typical of Christians that just have an oversensitized conscience. And they just exaggerate things. And they're just uh, exaggerating the human situation. Well, let me go back to a couple of pre-Christian writers. And I could quote you uh, 25 or 30, for I read through many of them in the last week out of the great thoughts of the Western world. Let me mention a couple of them. One, Seneca, a Roman philosopher and politician who was born 4 B.C., so he was not a part of the Christian movement, not a part of the Christian faith, and he talked a great deal about how men hate sins and love them at the same time. Hate sins, but love them at the same time. Ovid, Roman poet, philosopher, he was born 43 B.C., died about 5 or 6 A.D., so he was not acquainted with the Christian faith whatsoever. A Roman, he says, I see the better things and I prove them, but I follow the worst. I see the good things. I hear the preacher say them. I hear the teacher say them. I hear the Bible say them. And I say, amen. But then that lower nature, that sinful nature, down underneath the surface of my soul finds a weak moment And like a Vesuvius comes erupting to the surface and all hell, fire, and brimstone breaks loose in my life. So you can see why Paul cried out, Oh, wretched man that I am. Now let me pause there just a moment. I do not know anything about your spiritual pilgrimage. And some parts of my spiritual pilgrimage and yours are so private, you don't need to talk to anyone else about it. Although Paul makes no secret of his right here for our benefit. Have you ever felt wretched because of something you've done? some thought that continues to recur, some event that seems to be indelibly imprinted upon your mind. And you cry out, oh, wretched man that I am. 
I think of Simon Peter. When it says, when he looked at the Lord after denying him, he went out and wept bitterly. Oh, wretched man that I am. And I remember being on the back porch at 6942 Mistletoe Drive in Dallas, Texas in 1945. And at about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I was on my knees and I prayed, God, oh wretched man that I am, forgive me. I wouldn't be here right now had it not been for that encounter. And I don't believe any of us can ever understand other people or love other people or be sympathetic to what other people are going through in their lives unless you have had a moment like that in your life. If you've not had a moment like that in your life, your attitude is, well, he ought to take care of himself. I mean, get a hold of yourself. Come on, I made it. I do it. I'm a self-made man. But I tell you, if you've ever been through the dark night of the soul, you're not judgmental when others are still struggling through those dark moments of a return to God from however far away they may have been. There are a lot of compassionless Christians, or at least professing Christians, who feel called of God to judge everybody else. And I wonder, have they ever cried out, Oh, wretched man that I am. Ever went out and wept bitterly. When we see ourselves, not through the mirror of darkness that we look into, but we see it, ourselves through the mirror of Christ's light and Christ's love and Christ's holiness and we see ourselves and we say, oh God, have mercy on me. I tell you, turn your life and your attitude around and it'll shatter judgmentalism and condemnation of others who are struggling through the darkness of their night. Oh, wretched man that I am. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do you know a lot of the hymnals have taken that out? They say that degrades man. They don't call it. They've changed it. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved somebody like me. Somebody like me. Come on. Hello again. Where are you, reality? You say, well, it's terrible that they did that. Well, you know what Baptists did? They took a good hymnal that we have, and I think this is a good hymnal. But you know what they did to one of the great hymns written by Isaac Watts? If you want to look at it, you can turn to page 94. You probably won't need to. It's in the hymnal. At the Cross, one of the great hymns of the Christian faith, written by one of the greatest composers of Christian music that ever lived. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? 
You know what we did? We Baptists who claimed to know the Bible so well. We changed that word. Took the word worm out and put in sinner. That sanitizes it a lot more, doesn't it? Makes it sound more respectable. Well, do you know why Sir Isaac Watts wrote that word worm in there? Let me read it to you. It's out of the 41st chapter of the book of Isaiah. He knew his Bible and he was talking about himself and about us who so often camouflage our lives even to ourselves. Listen to what God says. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, O worm, Jacob. Why did he call himself a worm? Why did God call him a worm? Because he was a liar. Because he stole his birthright, his brother's birthright. He was a trickster. And God says, you're a worm. Oh, little Israel. You know, he changed his name after he went through his dark night of the soul. God changed his name from Jacob after he cried out, oh, wretched man that I am. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. But God throws it all together. Do not be afraid, oh, worm Jacob, oh, little Israel. For listen, boy, you talk about the grace of God and the love of God. Listen to this way back there in Isaiah. For I myself will help you, declares the Lord. You worm, you agonizing soul, I will help you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Isaac Watts knew what he was saying. And I know we're not supposed to deface the hymnal. We're not supposed to mark out anything. Well, I think we ought to put the worm back in there. We don't want to admit the reality of our own sinful nature. I tell you what, I got a, I got a theological lesson when I went to Paris Island for boot camp. <laughs> I went there and, uh, you know, Marines don't consider you to be a Marine unless you've been through boot camp. Now, I know there's some Navy pilots that wear Marine uniforms, and they did some horrible things in Switzerland by bona fide, orthodox, purebred Marines. We don't consider them Marines. You're not a Marine if you didn't go through Paris Island or through San Diego. They shave your head, and they make you feel like a worm. They boil you down to the last essence of you and then they build you back up and you leave there a Marine. You go as a boot and you leave there as a Marine because you have become part of a family and you are semper fidelis. You're faithful to one another. I had a drill instructor. God rest his soul. <laughs> he said to me and he said to everybody else at one time or another and he said to the rest of the group, you're lower than a snake's belly. He's, he had some more descriptive phrases than that that I, <laughs> that I cannot use here today. You're lower than a snake's belly. I said, well, maybe I need to 
Start changing some attitudes in my life. Maybe I need to start over. The core, not C-O-R-P-S, but C-O-R-E, the core of my soul, and let God put something new on the outside of me by changing the inside of me. Oh, wretched man that I am. Then he says this, who can save me from this deadly sinful nature? Did you notice he didn't say, what can save me? He knew all the what's, and he knew the what's don't save you. Money won't save you. Social respectability won't. Education won't. In fact, education without God, the Duke of Wellington, Arthur Wellesley was his name, later the Duke of Wellington who defeated Napoleon, as you know, at Waterloo. He said, if we, if we educate children without a knowledge of God, we are educating a race of clever devils. And you leave God out of family life and you leave God out of educational life and you leave God out of cultural life. What do we have? We have clever devils. Denial won't work. Denial will not work. What will deliver me from all of this stuff in my life? Well, I'm just going to pretend that it's okay and it's all going to go away. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. Get on the Niagara River and try that. Start, you don't have to row very hard. You don't have to work hard to row downstream at all, do you? Get on the Niagara River, row, row. You're going along there, picnic, beautiful day, wide, beautiful water. You don't notice that the water's getting a little faster, a little faster. Oh, boy, what a beautiful day. And pretty soon that boat's going faster and faster and faster. And let me tell you, once you reach Buffalo, it's too late. You are going over the falls and you keep practicing denial about our basic human nature you're going to go over the falls who will deliver me only Christ can deliver us only Christ Only Christ. Listen to that 25th verse. Thank God. It has been done. Not will be done. It has been done through Jesus Christ our Lord. One of those sermon ideas that we learned when we first started out preaching, and boy, we were struggling to try to know how to do this. Still are, but more so then. One of the great sermons, I don't know where it first came from. It's a great sermon outline. Simple one, and they're generally the best. Simple one. It was that when, when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, He saves us from the penalty of our sin. He saves us from the penalty of our sin. He takes our guilt, He takes our sin. He takes the consequences of our sin. And that's what the cross is all about. 
if you have accepted Christ, the penalty of your sins is all gone. It's in the depths of the sea, washed away forever. Number two, he saves us from the power of sin. Penalty first saves us from the power because we continue to live in a world where we're tempted. In fact, the Bible says you will be tempted in all points like is he. And he has also promised there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it. You're going to be tempted. Jesus was tempted repeatedly. So will we. God has not promised to keep us from temptation. He's promised, promised to be with us in temptation and to bring us through it. He saves us from the penalty of our sin. That's already done. Christ has already done that. He is in the process progressively. If you like the big old theological jawbreaker word, sanctification, that's what we're talking about. He is saving us progressively from the power of sin in our lives to rule us and to control us. And then when he comes back again, he will save us from the very presence of sin for it will all be gone away and we will be forever in the presence of the Lord and of all of his redeemed. Thanks be to God. Told you this story before. It's worth repeating quickly. How many of you have been to London and gone to Hyde Park or over to uh, to um, uh, the prison, uh, the Tower of London, and heard uh, speakers at Speakers' Corner stand up? And oh, it's wonderful. If you ever go there, be sure to go, particularly on a Sunday afternoon. And you can just take a soapbox and get up, and you can start talking about anything. And I've been there and they were talking about communism and socialism and democracy and nihilism and Christianity. And it's all sorts of that. And you can interrupt people. You can ask them questions. And, and you, the only thing you cannot preach, the only thing you cannot proclaim is the destruction of the monarchy, the destruction of the government. You can talk about everything else. And uh, boy, people go and it's, 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 it's a fun deal. Uh, they learn how to argue with you know, without trying to shoot one another. Um, anyway, I, this fellow was up there and he was extolling. I didn't hear it. It's a story I was told. Extolling the virtues of communism. The virtues of communism. And he saw a man standing there in ragged clothes and needs a shave and looks like he had had a bath in a month just in bad shape. And he decided to use him as an illustration. He said, you see that man? Communism can put a new coat on that man's back. And the Christian in the, congreg- in the group, his crowd there, said, yep, maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe communism can put a new coat on that man's back. But Jesus Christ can put a new man in that coat. That's better. That's what he's come to do, to make us new people through Christ Jesus. Will you trust him today? Will you trust him? Will you accept him, having never accepted him? Four or five people made that decision in the earlier service to accept Christ as Savior. Remember, today is the day, now is the time. Don't put it off.
If you want to be a part of a church that's trying to make a difference in people's lives, and I promise you, this church is not perfect, but I promise you, we'll do everything we can to help and encourage you. And you turn around and do the same thing with us, and we'll try to work together, pray together, and help one another through difficult times. If you feel that this is where God would have you worship, whether you've ever belonged to a church or not, whether you belong to one and never go and want to come here, what do you have to do? Just say, I want to be a part of this fellowship. It's just as easy as it was in Jesus' day. He said, follow me. Folks got up and said, okay, I'll follow you. And they did. And you can. I'll be right here to greet you. Let's stand and sing.